everybody, welcome back to MEP Mondays. Thank you for listening to the first one if you did, and well done to you for making it to the second one. Today we're going to be talking about how to get the most out of your BNF. When I was a pre-reg student, there were loads of sort of bits of advice that would come to me. So now that I'm qualified and I know how to use the BNF properly, I thought it'd be a really good idea to help people who haven't yet qualified and can get the best out of their BNF. I know in the exam you're going to be given artefacts, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't know your way around a drug monograph and all the bits before and after the monographs as well. Next week we'll be talking about um, SPCs and how to navigate around them because I know people do get quite confused with them, um, even qualified pharmacists. So let's get stuck in. My first PNF tip is get yourselves a paper copy. Yes, the app is fantastic, especially for when you're running about on wards or when you're in a community pharmacy that's really busy. But having something that you can annotate, having something that you can stick post-its on and having something that you can tab, it's invaluable. Shout out to Alison Hartley from the University of Bradford who gave us the best piece of of advice I've ever got, Um, which is every time you encounter a drug in your working life, open the BNF and have a look at it. Now, I understand that you're going to need your app sometimes, but if you have the paper BNF to hand, if you have some times after you've dealt with whatever you're dealing with, open your BNF, look at the monograph, have a quick scan down it, and I guarantee, unless you have some superhero photographic memory, then you'll you'll definitely learn something new every single time, I promise you. My third tip is tab your BNF. Get some nice colourful tabs in enough colours so that each colour can actually represent something, not just like three colours that you really like. And I'll attach a link to a YouTube video which we all use whilst we were pre-regis and it's still relevant today and hopefully you can tab your BNF to make it perfect. Tabbing really does help. I was a proper sceptic before I tabbed my BNF. I was just like, there's a contents page, you can open it why would I need to tab it? However, if you tab it right and you use the right keywords for every single section and what I did was I used those things that I saw in the YouTube video which were fantastic but then obviously it's everyone's personal journey with their BNF Um, so I tabbed stuff like CAP and HAP and various weird infections and where the opioid conversion tables were just because they were in places that were unexpected so tab according to that video i guarantee you will find it useful and then as you progress through your pre-reg year or six months depending on um, what program you're part of you'll probably find yourself adding tabs as you go along and it doesn't make it ugly it doesn't make it messy if you get some good quality tabs then they stick on and they don't fall off mine are still there and i qualified three years ago tip number four i think it's number four anyway but look at the contents page not the index which i'm sure everyone's thumbed through loads of times but the actual contents right in the beginning of the bnf i hadn't looked at the contents page right until my final year but it's really important to see what bits we usually skip 
which leads nicely onto my fifth tip, which is do not skip those bits that come before the, mono, uh, the monographs. So I'll quickly go through them all as well because they are so important and I think they're a little bit underrated in some undergraduate programs only because we're, we're being taught all the stuff that's already in the BNF um, and obviously we're being taught it in a lot more detail but once you've done your degree and you're a pre-registration pharmacist or a provisional pharmacist you're going to find these sections so useful um, and it's not just for those working in hospital on that note just a tiny little side note there is a little bit of misunderstanding i think it's usually something that comes about in pharmacy students that once you've done your degree and passed your pre-reach exam all of this extra clinical knowledge can be chucked out of the window if you're not working in hospital pharmacy however once you spend time with your community pharmacist tutors or your tutors in GP practices, you'll understand how much a community pharmacist has always offered and how much they use that clinical knowledge that we all developed during our, um, during our degrees and during our pre-registration placements. And if you have a chance of um, working in a place that offers you like a cross-sector placement where you work majorly in one sector and then cross over to either community or GP practices or to hospital for a few weeks. I highly recommend taking that opportunity just because it breaks down the barriers between pharmacists in all sectors and it means that we can help make each other's lives and in turn patient care so much better. So the first of the extra guidance sections is the section labelled changes. This I feel is really really important for a pharmacy student and every single pharmacist in the universe to understand because when you're going to be tested in the pre-reg exam they do like to test about new stuff that's happened recently in pharmacy and it doesn't mean you have to google everything if you just go to the page just before the bnf starts literally the page before page one you'll find a list of the changes you don't have to remember them all but um you'll be able to track the changes that have been happening in the pharmacy world usually stuff like changes in regulation to control drugs like the pregabalin and gabapentin stuff will have been in there when it happened the next section which starts on page one of the of the bnf is guidance on prescribing now you can't just stand through this but it has got important stuff in it stuff like the labels um legal requirements it's got all of them right there and it's got the driving instructions so what a patient would expect when they're driving under the influence of a drug even if they're taking it as prescribed We'll go through that on the podcast in a few weeks, hopefully, but it is worth having a look through this section. The next section in the BNF is prescription writing. Remember all those legal requirements we talked about last week? Well, they're all on one page, easy access, right in the front of your BNF. And they've got guidance on computer-issued prescriptions. We'll go through them later on in the podcast as well, but I do recommend also having a look at this section too. The next section in the BNF is the emergency supply of medicines. This contains all of the legal requirements 
when the emergency supply is requested by a member of the public and all the legal requirements to be fulfilled when the emergency supply is requested by the prescriber. They've also got the RPS guidelines right at the bottom of that page as well. So that's a very useful section to remember. The section on control drugs and drug dependence is also absolutely awesome because it's got a literal picture of a prescription, what to do if all the legal requirements are not fulfilled. Basically, you cannot supply the drugs. Um, all the different schedules and what they entail, uh, emergency supplies, um, how to deal with insolvent prescriptions, supervised consumption, and what to do if your patients want to travel, uh, travel abroad with a controlled drug. The section called Adverse Reactions to Drugs has a subsection in it that is definitely worth having a look through. So it's got important, um, it's called Oral Side Effects of Drugs and it's got all the important and notable side effects from uh, drugs like phenytoin and tetracyclines and clarithromycin and its friends. I would definitely have a go through it because if you go through these before you actually go through the monographs of drugs, it means that when you go through the monographs of drugs later on, things will start sort of lighting up in your head and you'll start remembering side effects better. Don't beat yourself up if you don't remember everything that you read first, the first time you've read it because I was never that kind of student. Process what you're reading. That's why the import, that's why the tip of opening the BNF every time you encounter, encounter a drug, no matter how many times you see that drug, is so important. It's because repetition really does it burns it into your brain and you will be fine i know the first time you read through the bnf is so stressful because you're just like how am i going to remember all this but if all of us did it before then that means all of you guys can do it as well after that section comes uh, a guide on iv infusions you don't have to memorize this word for word or anything i would just recommend having a quick scan through it it's got some important bits like the problems that you usually get with um, iv administration like contamination and uh, incompatibility and stuff like that just remember the important issues you should be able to judge what the most important issues are however if you get a bit stuck just message me or give me a shout and i'll tell you if you need to worry about it or not guidance to prescribing in children that comes after that section is also so important only because it's got stuff like the importance of the date of birth for children who are less than 12 and dose calculations are sometimes based on body surface area and when to remember to use body surface area and when to not and um, adverse drug reactions in children as well so have a scan through it you don't need to hug your BNFC as much as you need to hug your BNF, but if you have a BNFC to hand, then do have a look through it. If you've got the app, then um, I found that looking through the app was sufficient for me. It was stuff like paracetamol, ibuprofen doses that you mainly need to remember, um, and stuff like don't give aspirin to children under 16 because of Ray syndrome, stuff like that. Prescribing in hepatic permanent is a tiny little section, so just have a look through it and judge which you think are the most important bits and jot them down maybe, or however you process your knowledge, just do it with that. But the renal impairment section is quite impressive in the BNF because it's got the difference between 
crashing clearance and EGFR and it's got what the actual equation means and it's got a really useful CKD chart. In the future I'm hoping to do a session on renal impairment but in the meantime I do advise you to have a look through this chart and just make sure that you understand the main parts of it. There are sections on prescribing in pregnancy and breastfeeding as well. You just need to scan through these and just stay extra vigilant when you have a patient in practice and in your exam who is pregnant or breastfeeding and then you can identify in the monograph because there's always advice on pregnancy and breastfeeding in most monographs. Now I love the prescribing and palliative care section because it's helped me so much as a pre-reg who worked on elderly wards all the time. Also it's the place where the opioid conversion tables are. It's not actually where the opioid bit is in the BNF so I tabbed this. I can't remember if it's in the video now, it's been quite a long time but definitely tab this section. Um, it gives you an idea of the potency of the different opioids and how to convert oral and IV opioids to the different um, patches, the buprenorphine and fentanyl patches, which is fantastic. Also, um, palliative care involves a lot of symptom control. So a person who's, in, uh, who's towards the end of their life will have hiccup, insomnia, um, they won't be able to swallow sometimes. Um, they might have muscle spasms and they'll probably be quite nauseous as well. Some patients towards the end of their life get dry mouth and convulsions. All of these and more are covered in this section of the BNF and they've also got the most appropriate drug for each kind of symptom. I found that really helpful as a pre-registration pharmacist. I still find it really helpful as a qualified pharmacist three years on. I found it so useful and I hope that you do read this quite intently, make some notes on it, process it well because this sort of thing is really testable. It's the kind of thing where there's a very specific drug that is the best for your kind of patient and it tests your ability as a pharmacist to assess your patient, assess their symptoms, assess their stage of life and pick a drug according to all of those factors. Prescribing in the elderly is also very important and that is the next section. Um, I would have a look through this intently as well because it's got important stuff like the pharmacokinetics in older people and it's also got the drugs that you'd tend to avoid stuff like diuretics and NSAIDs which are quite over prescribed in um, elderly patients so in an era where prescribing is really important it's important as a pharmacist that you're aware what to look out for when you've got an elderly patient. The section on dental prescribing is a little bit longer than the previous sections but it's just because there are so many things to consider in dental prescribing so I'm not telling you to memorise every single dot on this page but have a look through like how to deal with syncope, um, what kind of medical problems dentists have to think about when prescribing because they've got a section on that as well. Um, the bit on in infective endocarditis is fascinating for me and I hope you will find it as fascinating. Um, stuff on anticoagulants and VT is really important for you to remember as well, so please do not skip it. 
now let's move on to the monographs. These are the bits that everyone should probably be a little bit familiar with because we do deal with them quite a bit during our farms. Now, as you're probably aware, they're all laid out the same, but they don't all have the same sections. So, <clears throat> so some drugs are less suitable for prescribing so that will so those drugs will have that section there some drugs have unlicensed indications so stuff like metformin which is used for pcos that will be there in that in that monograph but obviously if there's no unlicensed indications for something there's they're not going to waste time including it in the monograph nowhere to look for the cautionary advisory labels they are right at the end of the monographs um, they're important because they usually form the basis of your counseling when you're speaking to patients and that's also something that the the exam includes quite a bit of as well what kind of cautionary advisory advisory labels are associated with this kind of drug not as explicitly as that because that sounds like something that you'd ask on the chase or something but you're gonna have to know the drug well enough to associate the cautionary advisory labels with it now there are so many monographs in the bnf i think there's about 2500 and something last time i was told the number just because i was curious yes you will have to look through most monographs but it doesn't have to be as daunting as it sounds and feels the first time you hear this split it into sections first yeah you'll split split it into the sections of uh, you know the the body systems as it is uh separated in the actual arena but then there are classes of drugs so maybe you'll want to do amino salicylates one day and then maybe you'll want to do bulk forming laxatives one day or maybe you'll want to do all of laxatives one day like just split it in a way that makes it manageable for you i'll try and find my to-do list because i'm a person who likes to cross things off so i made a to-do list of every single um subsection in the bnf so if you actually turn to the first section of um the bnf that's not the prescribing guidance so if you go on to um chapter one on the gastrointestinal system that section actually has a contents section of its own so I made a to-do list of all of these. That won't work for everybody because it looks like a literal mountain. However, I love crossing things out on my to-do lists and I found it really easy to split my workload because it has the page numbers on the contents bits as well. So one of the most important tips that I can give you is split the BNF and the rest of your learning into manageable sections don't drown in the bnf one day and then drown in calculations the next day and then drown in the mep the next day split it split all of them up so that everything starts becoming part of your daily routine and yes eventually you will be looking through everything daily um i'm sorry but doing it like that just means that it's becoming second nature to you and that's the way you want to be because by the time you're a pharmacist you'll want to be confident when you are presented with patients and you will want to have that legal calculation and clinical knowledge all together 
and that's the way it's gonna happen now in every single section of the bnf there is a treatment summary before the actual monographs associated with those diseases these are gold so i would treat them like nice guidelines but condensed read through all of them try to understand how the treatments rank in terms of this drug is suitable for this patient however if the patient is a little bit older or has renal impairment or um, is prone to a certain type of side effect and I'm going to choose this drug and they really are that helpful stuff like hypertension is covered beautifully in the BNF so please have a look through treatment summaries furthermore I keep telling you and I will always tell you to apply your theory to practice so it's all good memorizing all these monographs I have never memorized a monograph but I know some people think that's the way to go about it you can remember everything you want but then you have to be able to apply that into your practical life as a pre-reg or provisional pharmacist and definitely as a um, as a qualified pharmacist after the exam you're not going to be able to do that unless you understand where the drugs sit in real life and the treatment summaries give you brilliant context because they also talk about adjuvant drugs and um, drugs that might be used to manage some side effects of other drugs drugs that can cause um, conditions that might fit into different uh, differential diagnoses have a look through them they are brilliant I'm not saying treatment summaries to replace nice guidelines, have a look at and understand them both. However, you're going to probably have your BNF to hand a lot easier than you have um, nice guidelines because obviously the app is there and so is your paper version. So I am advising you to please look through them both, but do do not discount the treatment summaries in the BNF just because it's nice guidelines there. Something really important throughout the BNF monographs is the little box titled important safety information. Mostly these are MHRA warnings like um, gabapentin has one about the rescheduling of it to a controlled uh, to a schedule 3 control drug it also has something about um, respiratory uh, respiratory depression with or without opioids which is very important and these sort of boxes are testable i know i keep using that word but i'm trying to highlight the really important bits that an examiner will expect you to know so please remember them stuff like benzodiazepines as well they've got the little box um that's not an MHRA warning, but it's just to highlight to the pharmacist to remind like anaesthetists or doctors that um, you have to highlight the fact that the patient is on a regular benzodiazepine because it can interact with, uh, interact with um, anaesthesia. Sorry, I'm a surgical pharmacist. I just had to throw that in. Um, you've also got borderline substances at the back of the BNF. I did not remember these and you do not have to memorize them however it's a good idea just to get a gist of the structure of the table so that if you are ever presented um, with one as one of your artifacts you're not baffled that's the aim of pre-registration 
training to not be baffled when you're in the exam. They've got stuff in there like ensures and all the milkshakes and stuff so it's it's quite interesting if you're interested in uh, nutrition. I was a lot so I didn't go through them loads but you do actually find yourself having to look through them when you're in uh, when you're doing your training and once you've qualified appendix three is the cautionary advisory labels i don't advise you to memorize them all by heart or anything but just beware that sometimes the power in a pharmacy completely goes and you're gonna have to start writing them by hand everyone who's qualified will have a story of them handwriting dispensing labels. This section of the BNF is quite testable as well. They like to ask you about cautionary advisory labels for relevant medicines. So do have a look through the um, through the different types of warnings, how they're worded and keep them in mind because you might actually have to use them in the event of a power cut. And right at the back of the BNF, we've got some yellow cards that can be filled in and submitted to the MHRA. Um, they are really useful, but even more useful than that, on mhra.gov.uk slash yellow card, there's the online equivalent of the yellow card scheme. We use it all the time in hospitals, and I'm sure community pharmacists use it all the time as well, and primary care pharmacists. Do familiarise yourself with the form just because you never know what's going to happen. I remember once, ages ago, one of, um, I, I was still, I think I was in my second year or something, and I was on a placement, and the colours of a particular brand of omeprazole had just changed, and we had two or three patients come in, um, and they complained of gastro disturbances, so they were feeling nauseous with the new coloured capsules so I think they were orange once upon a time and then they turned to pink and everyone was just like I feel sick. That was really interesting for me as a pharmacy student because that was the first time I'd actually seen the yellow card scheme come into play in practice. And that was the second episode of MEP Monday so thank you so much for listening and I hope it was helpful. I just wanted to give a little shout out to pharmacist support the website is pharmacistsupport.org. They are a charity that helps and listens to pharmacists, former pharmacists, pharmacy students, pre-regis, provisional pharmacists and their families and friends. And their aim is to empower people to create positive change. They do brilliant work. They've got loads of um, services that can help you and your loved ones. Um, They've got a link to confidential helplines, wellbeing workshops, sheets and webinars. They've got financial and specialist advice and they've got addiction support services. They've also got a section where you can ask or search for any questions that have been asked. And they have done brilliant work. Some fantastic pharmacists who are very well known are ambassadors of and consistently support the charity. Get involved if you can fit it in your schedule and do use them if you're feeling run down if you're feeling like this situation like the pre-reg exam like the uncertainty of everything at the moment is getting to you a little bit they're always there and i'm sure you can get the help that you need that's pharmacistsupport.org Thank you and good luck. Happy revising.